Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Surprise Jab Podcast. I'm your host, Zach Ruger, and as always, surprising you with brand new topics every episode and jabbing you with your daily dose of UFC. And we are fresh off of a big event. That's right, UFC London went down this past Saturday, July 22nd, and it did not lack for interesting stuff that went down. Um, gosh, we'll be covering all the fights later. We did uh, we did pretty decent. We go four and two on our main card predictions. We are now sitting at seventy seven and fifty on the year for our main card predictions, and four hundred and forty seven correct picks all time, three hundred twenty seven incorrect picks all time. So we're we're up plus one hundred, so we're above five hundred. But I mean, gosh, when you start when you pick events since twenty twenty, I mean, I started out pretty rough. I get better here and there, but at the end of the day, you just gotta keep improving. And that's just all you can do. Analyzing the fights, analyzing historically how fighters do in certain areas doesn't always play out, as we saw on this event. You know, you may think, hey, here's a London fighter who's never lost in London. They statistically should not lose, and they end up losing. But you know what? It happens. We'll be getting to UFC London in a bit, and we'll also be talking about quantum physics. For anyone interested, that is your surprise topic for this episode. But we'll actually be starting out with Loyal to the Belt, a segment I created where we pose the question, are you loyal to the belt, or are you loyal to the fighter? On today's episode, we will be looking at Zhang Wei Li, the current UFC women's straw weight champion. Zhang Weili, a fan favorite, a personal favorite of mine. Let's look at her title run so far. It's been very interesting, to say the least. Um, actually, what am I saying? Her title rank. She's, she's won the belt twice. All right, let's start off. Zhang Weili comes to UFC, picks up, um, picks up a couple wins for getting a title shot against Jessica Andrade in August of 2019 in China, the last time the UFC was in China. In fact, she would end up knocking out Jessica Andrade in 42 seconds, earning a performance bonus, and winning the straw weight belt. Following that, she would put on one of the greatest fights of all time, currently the greatest women's fight in probably mixed martial arts history, without a doubt UFC history against Joanna Jayon Jacek at uh, UFC 248. And that was in uh, 2020 for anyone following the timeline. Following that, she would, of course, get knocked out by Rose Nama Yunez in 2021. Everyone remember that on UFC 261. UFC 261, one of the best cards of all time. If you're going to introduce someone to UFC, maybe just MMA in general, I consider showing them UFC 261, Usman versus Masvidal 2. After that, she would rematch Rose in uh, at UFC 268, lose a split decision. But it was after this fight I realized I was not a fan of Zhang Weili as champion. I was a fan of Zhang Weili in general. Because after that, this was in, we're now in 2022. She would knock out Joanna Jonchechek in a rematch, spinning back fist, actually retiring her. And if any of my hardcore fans know, in November of 2022, she would absolutely demolish Carla Esparza, submitting her with a rear naked choke in round number two. For me personally, I'm loyal to Zhang Weili. I'm not loyal to the straw weight belt whatsoever. 
Zhang Lili is just so exciting. She just she brings this intensity. She's also like oddly polite while also menacing at the same time, which I love. She has a fight lined up with Amanda Lemos for UFC 292 in August. You can bet I'll be watching that fight. That's going to be very entertaining. But with only two losses in the UFC, she boasts an impressive 23-3 professional record. Zhang Wei Li, nickname Magnum, I'm a fan of you. So, I'm not loyal to the strawweight belt. I'm loyal to Zhang Wei Li. So if Amanda Lemos wins, I will not be happy. I'm trying to think of all the um, fighters we've been through so far. I mean, this was the first women's champion. I know we've talked about flyweight for sure. If you didn't know, I was loyal to Brandon Moreno, not to the flyweight belt. I was... I don't think I'm loyal to Aljamain Sterling. I think I'm loyal to the bantamweight belt. Uh, featherweight, I'm... Phew, I'm loyal to Volkanovski, man, but Ito Piero about to make me second guess who I'm going to root for if they end up fighting. We still have to talk about lightweight. We still have to talk about... Actually, I think we did talk about... um. Did we talk about welterweight? I can't recall. I don't think so. So I think we have lightweight, welterweight. We talked about Israel Asanya. We are loyal to Israel Asanya. He's very entertaining. We haven't talked about light heavyweight because it's kind of a chaotic division. We haven't talked about heavyweight. Women's flyweight or women's bantamweight. So we got a lot of divisions to cover for Loyal to the Belt. And whenever a belt changes, of course, we will be mentioning that. And in a couple of weeks when UFC 292 goes down, we might even bring up this segment again. And I know that UFC 291 is coming up, which we will be doing a big show covering that card. It is probably the biggest card of the summer. It rivals UFC 290 for biggest card of the summer. We'll be covering all things about that, uh, who we think is going to win the main event. But as for the BMF belt, there's not much to say. This is the second fight. The original fight was at UFC, ooh, what was that? UFC 244, I believe, in Madison Square Garden, or was it in Brooklyn, between Nate Diaz and Jorge Masvidal, all the way back in 2019. But now, we're in Salt Lake City, Utah, UFC 291. I believe we're in Salt Lake City, Utah. I can't really recall. And we have Dustin Poirier versus Justin Gaethje. Going to be an entertaining fight. I do not have a prediction right now. I'm leaning Justin Gaethje. Not really a Dustin Poirier fan, to be honest. I don't think I've ever predicted him to win a fight. Actually, I predicted him to win his rematch with McGregor. Which I guess was their third installment, now that I'm thinking about it. Who knows if McGregor will ever fight again. We'll need to talk about that at some point. But yeah. Lots going on in that department. But as for loyal to the belt, we are not. We are loyal to Zhang Li. Or should I say loyal to the fighter? I think it should be loyal to the fighter or loyal to the belt. And I was debating doing this, talking about um, professional sports teams. I don't know how that would really work out. So we'll keep it to um, MMA, particularly. Maybe we'll look at other promotions. But as for now, we have only two more segments left, but they're going to be taking up a majority of time. Starting off with our London recap. That's right, UFC London. Whew, what an event, guys. What an event. I was somewhat busy while it was going down. I was at the gym with my friends, which was fun. After that, I actually went to the gym with my girlfriend. Then I actually went to an art museum, which was super interesting. I would I would highly recommend checking out an art museum. I went to the Minnesota, Min Minnesota, Minnesota Institute of Art and I enjoyed it very much. Just appreciating the design of some of these artists and the detail they go in, the tiny details. 
It is so interesting. I find it so fascinating. And it was a pleasure. But I missed my busy day. I was able to catch some of these fights. And boy, were they interesting. All right. Only two performance bonuses. I just feel UFC's been getting a little carried away with only giving out two performance bonuses when we definitely have more than two good performances. And one of these performances, Paul Craig, I mean, good for Paul Craig getting a performance bonus, but I mean, the co-main event, the upset, I mean, that should have definitely been performance bonus worthy. Give Julia, give Julia Storylinko her 50. Okay, but we'll move on and actually talk about the whole card, so. Let's get going. We start off the night in flyweight. And we start off the night with a finish, which is always good. Rafael Filo gets rocked by Daniel Perez early. Whew, I thought he was out there. I thought Rafael Filo was done for. But he manages to withstand the storm, take down Daniel Perez, lock in an arm triangle, and finish him. Rafael Filo improves to 15-3 and three and gets his first UFC win. And I mean, he, this is a guy who debuted against Mohamed Mokayev. So, I mean, he 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 had a tough route into the UFC. If anyone doesn't know, Mohamed Mokayev, an undefeated fighter. Um, I believe he's Dagest. He's, he's Russian, but he's also English, maybe. I don't really know Mohamed Mokayev's full background, but I do know he's a very talented flyweight. And Rafael Filo gave him a run for his money in his debut. But Daniel Perez, I mean, certainly showed he has good striking, just not good takedown defense or... I don't, I don't even know anything. He kind of choked the fight. He could have definitely knocked Philo out. But instead, Philo is able to rally. Very happy for them. And Flyweight needs guys. The Flyweight division in the UFC needs more fighters. You know, happy Philo's one of them, right? Let's move on. And Shauna Bannon. Shauna Bannon. Shauna, Shauna Bannon. Gosh, what a, what a tongue twister saying that. Loses to Bruno Brazil. By your name's decision, she drops the first two rounds, rallies in round three, but it's to no one's avail. Look, she had, a, she had some hype going into this. She was actually undefeated at 5-0, and oh, but Bruno Zill manages to do some takedowns, were just striking overall, got the victory. Not much to say here, just typical, that sounds sexist, women's MMA fight that is boring. Nothing to go back and rewatch. And look, there's men's fights like it too, but I just feel like it's recurring in the women's division. Stuff like this. I mean, it's nothing personal, as I say. I mean, with the Barbie movie out, I mean, I gotta be careful what I'm saying, but it is what it is. Alright, we move on to another... Um, I did not catch this fight. I was gonna say another dud, but Chris Duncan versus Yanal Ashmuz. Apparently it was a very good fight. Yanal sadly was seven and zero, but is now seven and one, so suffering his first career defeat. As Chris Duncan improves to eleven and one, with two UFC wins. Apparently, Chris Duncan had everything going. Was out striking him, landing takedowns. Good job for Chris Duncan, man. And he called out. Gosh, I think it was Jordan Leavitt and someone else who I can't think off the top of my head. But Chris Duncan had a very good call out. Man, I'm happy for it, you know? Chris Duncan, good for you. I believe he's a Scottish fighter. So Scotland, I believe, went 2-0 tonight. So good job. Good job to the Scotland boys. I don't know what a Scotland accent is. I can't, I can't do it. A Scotland accent. I don't know. So many different European accents. But let's move on to women's bantamweight. Whew. You know, I missed the first three fights. 
and I finally catch a fight, and it is terrible. Catlin Vieira beats Pan Kianziad. Just 30-27, 29-28. I don't even know what it was. Gets the unanimous decision. Pan was ranked 7. Ketlin was ranked 4. Ketlin will remain at 4. I wouldn't be surprised. Actually, Pan will probably stay at 7. Not much happened in this fight. But, I mean, let me just read something to you. Ketlin Vieira, 3 takedowns. 10 minutes and 49 seconds of control time. Could have, well, 10-8ed her through the first two rounds. Before landing a takedown, then getting it reversed, and Pan wins round three. Gosh, it's ugh. very boring fight. Does not. Both their stocks dropped after this one. Felly Ketlin Vieira, she manages to land takedowns and do nothing with them. At least lock up a submission, ladies. At least do something entertaining, but it is what it is. Not, not much to say. Not much to say. Ketlin Vieira gets the win. Do I, do I think a title shot's next for her? Do I think a top five fighter who just got a win? The number four woman's bench boy just got a win. And I honestly think she should still fight down. I um, I think a woman's bench boy should be Mauro Bueno Silva versus Julia Pena for the vacant belt. Or you could do Kelly Vieira versus Julia Pena and Rockwell Pennington versus Mauro Bueno Silva for the vacant woman's bench weight belt. I do not really care. As for Pan, she'll fight down. She could. She should find out Norman Dumont. Just Norman Dumont. Just one. And it's fresh in my mind. All right. Moving on to another fight I caught. Wow, Mahmoud Murata versus Brian Barberina. This is my. Nah, I'm not even gonna say fight that. I'm gonna say the most chaotic fight of the night. My goodness. We'll we'll just we'll talk about Mahmoud. Finally gets a win. He was on a little two fight losing streak. Unfortunately for Brian Barberina. Falls to, zero and three in his last three fights. But what a debut at middleweight for Brian Barberina. He brought the fight, but Mahmoud Muradov. Well, listen to these stats. Two knockdowns for Mahmoud. 54 significant strikes to 28 for Brian. 81% takedown rate. 13 for 16 on takedowns for Mahmoud. 5 minutes and 10 seconds of control time. So Mahmoud wins a round on the ground, without doubt. If your control time is over 5 minutes or at five minutes, I consider you have won a round somehow. You have to have won a round somehow, right? But for Mahmoud, 13 takedowns. I mean, he was doing whatever he pleased to Brian Barberita. And, you know, round one was pretty casual, just Mahmoud shooting for takedowns. So after that, all hell broke loose. Mahmoud was going crazy, taking him down, swinging on him. I loved it, man. It was entertaining, but at the same time, it was, uh, it was pretty chaotic. There was one scary moment, though, where they... Both like shot for takedowns or ducked and they clashed heads. And it was pretty brutal. I thought they were going to stop the fight. But thankfully, they did not. Mahmoud, congratulations. You will move on in the middleweight division. As for Brian Barberina, man. I don't know what to do with him. I don't know. I don't know. But we move on to heavyweight where Mick Parkin beats Jamal Pogues. Mick Parkin. I believe, yes, improves to 7-0, and oh, getting his first UFC victory here against Jamal Pogues, who falls to 10-4. and four. Just outstrikes him. Not much to say. McParkin is able to just use his distance, strike well. Jamal had just over a minute of control time just from cage hugging, but Mick wins all three rounds. I did not catch this fight. Actually, I think I caught the opening round, and I realized nothing was going to happen, so I headed out. That's all. That's all there is. McParkin gets a win. Another heavyweight fighter moving up in the world. He should fight someone like 
Jake Collier, Josh Parsons, Dontel Mays, Andrea Lovsky, random heavyweights. Ear Latifi. Actually, I think he was cut, but oh well. We move on to Joel Alvarez beating Mark Diakise by Darstroke in round number two. Did not catch this, but good job to Joel. Hadn't fought in close to two years. Actually, actually, it was over two years. He had not fought in a year and a half when Armin Tizukrian just absolutely laid into him and destroyed him. But he comes back, gets a win over Mark Diakise. And this is crazy. All right, Joel Alvarez, 20-3. and three. Professional record, 17 submission wins. 17. That's insane. I'm pretty sure all his victories are by finish. Maybe but one? I don't know. Oh my goodness. Joel Alvarez. Excellent work. That's for Mark. You're now in a little two fights, kid. Ugh, didn't expect much of him, but Joel, 20 and 3. Very impressive. He's calling for someone ranked. If I could give him someone ranked in the lightweight division, which is where this fight took place. Number 14, Demiros Magulov. Actually just retired, so he's off the board. But Jalen Turner is coming off a loss, so I could easily see them doing the Jalen Turner fight. And as always, there's Patty Pimlet, because he's a fighter. That always comes to mind. And he also wasn't on this card. He should have been. He should have been. Hopefully we get him in December. I'm hearing word. Maybe Hanato Moicano or Matt Frivola for a big fight. Who knows? We shall see. But as always, we move on to our fight of the night. No one knows his name. Johnny Parsons made his UFC debut against Danny Roberts. Johnny improves to 9-2 and two with his dominant victory. Danny falls to 18-8 and eight and is on a three-fight losing streak. Not looking good for Danny for his UFC career. But Johnny Parsons, man, what a debut. And he actually called out uh, Michael Page. If no one knows who Michael, nicknamed Venom Page, is MVP, he's from Bellator, um, pretty much the second or third biggest MMA promotion in the world. And he's a free agent. And he was at this UFC event, which leads me to believe he's signing with the UFC, which would be a huge signing. Immediate fights that come to mind are someone like Kevin Holland. And when you got guys like Johnny Parsons calling him out, that's a good call out. For your after your first career, uh, after your first UFC career victory, it's a good call out. This was fight of the night, though, for sure. I did not see this live, but I actually went back and watched it. They just swung. Johnny Parsons and Roberts swinging to take each other's heads off. It was brutal. It was violent, but it was so entertaining, and I was so happy to just see two guys giving it their all. And truly, truly, they gave it their all. I mean, Danny. Eventually, he just he just fell down. The ref was like, I've seen enough. But congrats to Johnny Parsons. You'll move on. You'll move on in the welterweight division, which is always busy. The welterweight division is one of those busy divisions. So, Following that, um, the prelims, I, I don't know how they thought they were going to squeeze nine prelim fights in three hours, but they managed to squeeze eight in in three hours, so props to them. So Daniel Marcos versus Dave Grant was pushed to the main card. I did not have time to officially lock in a prediction. So my prediction was still from the prelims, which was unofficial. And I had Dave Grant winning on my scorecard. But Daniel Marcos gets the split decision win. And as always, we say this every week, the Vince McMahon, the authority, WWE, what's best for business. The split decisions, man, they're always what's best for business. Daniel Marcos improves to 15-0 with his split decision win. 
Davy Grant, man, gets robbed. 15-7 and seven record now for Davy, but that's not the point, all right? Look, for damage, yes. Daniel Marcos did piece up Davy Grant's nose, okay? It was pieced up. But if we go round by round, Davy Grant outstruck him in every single round, right? Daniel Marcos landed one takedown in round three for 13 seconds of control time, okay? The only reason Daniel Marcos won this is because he was an undefeated fighter and because he busted up Davy Grant's nose. But on everything else, Davy Grant won. More significant strikes, more total strikes. Man. It is what it is. Poor Davy Grant. As for Daniel Marcos, he'll move on in the bantamweight division, but not much more for me to say. I'm very disappointed in the judging, especially when they mess stuff up. Because I feel like, I feel like, like, how can you even have split decisions? It should be obvious who won. It should be obvious who won, but I guess you do have close fights, so there's that. Before we get into the main card, I'm actually going to read over a couple, um, a couple of facts that I ran across um, about the card. Um, so, debuting fighters go one for two on this card. Shout out to Johnny Parsons being the only debuting fighter to um, keep keep a victory. I don't even know. Um, Tom Aspinall, Paul Craig, Johnny Parsons, Dan Roberts all earned 50K. Should be more. I remember, I think it was the first UFC London card in this post-COVID era where... You had, I believe it was the first card, Espinal versus Volkov, where almost every finish got a performance bonus. It was so exciting. Um, this uh, this was actually the 224th UFC fight night. If you guys don't know, there are UFC pay-per-views, which are the numbered ones. So 291 is coming up. That's a pay-per-view. But as for these cards, they're called fight nights. There's a difference, right? This was the 224th. It had a live attendance of 15,078 at the O2 Arena for a live gate of 2.5 million. Wow. Very successful. All right. Betting favorites go 10 for 4 on this card. One fight had even odds as there were 15 fights. That's very impressive to me that only four underdogs cashed, as underdogs are very fun to bet on in UFC, but also very risky. Betting favorites improved to 16 and 9 in UFC headliners. This year, and what I was gonna look at is if there have been, if they meant fight nights or pay per views, because I'm pretty sure there's been over 25 events this year, but I could actually be wrong. I think that might be in total. So I'm trying to think. I believe last weekend, Mario Bueno Silva was an underdog, and the weekend before that, Volk was a favorite. So I was trying to remember. And lastly, total fight time for this 15-card bout, if I can pronounce it, was 2 hours, 50 minutes, and 37 seconds. That is in octagon time of the clock running. That's a lot of fight time. I believe it's the most this year. The longest, I think, is UFC 245, which was Usman versus Covington, their first fight. But man, what a long event. What a long event. This was... Honestly, the London events have been kind of getting worse. I think this is better than the last one, without a doubt. But at the same time, I mean, nothing's going to top Aspinall versus Volkov. That was one of the best. That's probably the best London card. It's one of the best cards I've watched. I believe that took place. Actually, that took place last year, 2022. Wow. All right, but enough of the fun facts. We got six fights to cover, right? Starting off the main card, we had Lerone Murphy versus Josh Culiabo. And wow. 
well. Leroy Murphy proved why he should be undefeated as he is now sitting at 13-0. and And one, he had a draw. But man, Leroy now on a five-fight win streak, all right, in the UFC. Hey, so, so if you don't know, I mean, 13-0, professional record, but 5-0 in the UFC. And what a dominant win against a tough Josh Kuliabo, who was on a three-fight win streak for losing this fight. But, I mean, just listening to the stats, it was all Leroy Murphy, okay? A knockdown for Murphy, 59 sniffing strikes for Murphy, 23 for Josh, 87 total strikes for Leroy Murphy, 40 for Josh Kuliabo, three takedowns for Leroy Murphy for seven minutes and 38 seconds of control time. It was all him, man. He showed good control. He showed good striking, good resilience. He knew what to do. He knew when Josh was tired to hit him. And just an improvement standpoint from Leroy Murphy compared to his last fight, where Gabriel Santos gave him a run for his money, showing some great, great groundwork, great striking. All credit to Leroy Murphy. And you got a good London fighter here, guys. I mean, everyone was talking about Molly McCann, Patty Pimblett, Darren Till. All being the next champions. Talk about Leroy Murphy, man. Talk about him, all right? And he was calling out, I believe, Edson Barbosa, who's currently ranked number 14 at featherweight for uh, UFC Sao Paulo, November 4th, which is assuming to be in Brazil. I like that fight. I really do like that fight. Edson may be coming off a big win, but he's in gatekeeper territory. I also like a Bryce Mitchell fight, an Alex Caceres fight, a Dan Ige fight. I like all kinds of fights for Leroy Murphy. But there is another fighter I think he could face next. We'll talk about in a second, but... um. Hold that thought. I, I do like the Edson Barbosa fight out of any of these fights, okay? Then, Fares Zayam beats Jai Herbert. Not much to say. Fares Zayam gets a typical unanimous decision. Now on a two-fight win streak, 14-4. and four. Professional record, as for Jai Herbert. Now is one win, two losses, and a draw in his last four fights. 12-5-1 professional record. Jai just didn't show much here. Fair as I am, pushing the pressure. I didn't really catch this fight, but... It doesn't look like I missed much. As for Fairs, he wins, moves on to the lightweight division. Lightweight has so many fighters. I mean, no one even comes to mind for him. I'm really more experienced with the main fighters, the ranked ones. The unranked guys, there's so many. I mean, you could just... You could go through whew, a list, but I mean... Think about, like, Patty Pimblett, the more popular-named unranked fighters, but fair as I am, all credit to you. You get the win. And I don't know if he can turn around for um, a Paris card, but it would be very, very cool if he could. And um, hmm, who, who can I give you guys? Uh, Nazrat Hakpasarat. He's a good unranked lightweight fighter that fair as I am could fight. Look him up, all right? But we move on to a ranked middleweight showdown as Paul Craig makes his, I was about to say UFC debut, middleweight debut in the division. And it's a success. Success. I actually said it right. I don't know why I repeated that. He beats Andre Munez, who's currently ranked 14, so he'll take the number 14 spot at middleweight. And he gets it done, man. He was trusting his striking. He was trusting his ground game. And up until this point, though, it was very competitive. Very competitive. Andre Munez probably winning round one, actually. But Paul Craig found his rhythm, gets it going, and gets a nasty elbow TKO over Andre Munez. He got into top mount, into back mount, and was just pounding away, finishing him with oh, no remorse. Good job, Paul Craig. 
As for Munoz, he now was on a two-fight losing streak, been finished in both fights. As for Paul Craig, back in the win column after having lost his last two. Man, sky's the limit for um, him at a middleweight. A middleweight fight did just drop for UFC 295 today between number 8-ranked Derek Brunson and number 9-ranked Roman Dolodizze. That should be a very fun fight. Best for Paul Craig, who will assumably be ranked number 14 come Tuesday when the rankings update. I like a Jack Hermanson fight. I mean, Jack Hermanson, just a typical gatekeeper. But Paul Craig was talking about becoming a double champ. And as unrealistic as that sounds, it's very well possible. I mean, Paul Craig actually holds wins over Jamal Hill, Magomed Ankalaev, and Nikita Krylov. All top five light heavyweights. So, anything's possible for Paul Craig. Congratulations to him. And I want a Jack Manson fight next. Or even Marvin Vittori. Shoot, send him to the top. Who cares? Send, send him to the top. But we move on to our fourth main card fight. Between Nathaniel Wood, Nathan Wood, and Andre Feely. And wow. Wow, this was a battle. This was a battle. Wow. Round one. All Nathan, all Nathan Wood. All right. Nathaniel Wood getting it done. Winning round one. Not much debate. Striking was on point. All right. Round two, though. Feely comes out. He's pushing the pace. He drops Wood. He takes round two. So it's 1-1 heading into the third. But Nathaniel Wood pushes the pace. Gets it done. And, man, he had some. Who is he calling out? Nathaniel Wood weighing the unanimous decision. He was calling out the Korean zombie. And someone else. He called out someone else. Can't even think of it. I think he did he call it Dan Ige. I don't know, but I would like a Dan Ige fight against the thing. It would. But he was also calling for Leroy Murphy. Now it's very weird. You get two people from the same country having beef, but Leroy Murphy and Nathaniel Wood both have beef. Both London fighters. All right. That's kind of a silly statement in general because I mean, think about United States fighters always have beef. But I think you guys know what I'm getting at. Good job, Nathaniel Wood. He will. Um, Gosh, he's on a little win streak. 3-0 and now. I think since he moved up from bantamweight. I mean, he had spent, I think he had spent like four years, two years, three years at bantamweight. Went 4-2. and two. But Now that he's at featherweight, he's 3-0. and Wins over Charles Rosa, Charles Jordan, Andre Feely. All tough, unranked fighters. Good job to him. Oscar Andre Feely, he now falls to 1-3 with a no contest in his last five. I don't know what's next for Andre Feely, but I do know Nathaniel Wood has good things ahead of him. All, congr- all congrats to Nathaniel Wood. Very happy for you. But let's get into this co-made event because, oh my goodness, who saw this coming? Who saw Julija Storyolinko submitting Molly McCann? I didn't. I, all the Betty lines had Molly McCann as a huge favorite for TKO. I think that was that was everyone's big, big prediction. But, oh, man, I don't, I don't even know what happened. I did not catch it. I only saw um what what happened. But from what I'm assuming, look at the stats, is that Julia landed a takedown early into the round, a little bit into the round. And what I saw is she had, Molly McCann was in, like, I don't even know if I want to call it full full guard. I don't even know if she was in her full guard. But she kind of, Julia kind of had her arm. And I don't know if Molly was trying to roll or something, but she basically put herself into the armbar. It was very weird. 
And before people say like, oh, maybe she sold, she just wouldn't sell in front of her London crowd. All right. It's just not in her, I don't think. But but she she gets off hard and she gets finished and Julia gets another win and get this, Julia Storylinko is eleven and eight with ten armbar submissions. That's insane. Two in the UFC, and this is also someone who is now two and five in the UFC. I mean, she was one and five hated and is most likely getting cut. Instead, she shocks the world and beats Molly McCann. Molly now thirteen and six. This is now the second time in the UFC. She's on a two-fight losing streak, so we'll see what happens. We'll see if she can bounce back, but I don't know. I don't even know. Who could she fight next? Who could Molly McCann fight next? Ugh. I'm trying to think. There's got to be some random woman. Maybe what uh, what weight class is Estella Nunes in whenever she returns her injury? Molly McCann, I believe she's dropping a straw weight. I think she made an Instagram post saying she was. Didn't, uh, didn't make any excuses. Just said, hey, I lost. I'm sorry to all my fans. I don't even feel bad. Well, I'm a kid. <laughs> That's just embarrassing. That's just embarrassing. I mean, she was such a betting favorite, but it is what it is. I don't care. Good for Julia Storylenko. I go four and two. All right. I've predicted however many. I've, predict, I've been predicting events since 2020, and I'm yet to have an event where I don't get a correct main card prediction. I've had some close ones. I believe I've gone one in five on a six-fight main card. So whenever I do predict just one main card fight happy, I'm kind of happy. And I was already sitting at 3-1, and one, so this didn't make me too sad when I was 3-2 for two on my main card picks. But it's just laughable when someone like Molly McCann, who talks a lot of trash and cannot back it up. She's now lost to Aaron Blanchfield, who's at the top of the five division. And she's lost to Julia Giostrelenko, who is quite possibly maybe the last person in the women's flyweight division. There's a few... It's not that impressive. Eleven and eight record. Oof. You're almost below uh below um ah, was it below five hundred? Yes. But now let's get into that main event. Oh my goodness. Oh my goodness. Talk about I mean, I honestly think Julia should have got performance post, but a man who definitely deserved a performance post was Tom Aspinall. My goodness. My goodness, Tom Aspinall wins the night. Alright. Tom had not fought in a year. Almost a year to the day, all right. This the the card happened. He fought on July twenty second. His injury against Curtis Plates took place on July twenty third, twenty twenty two. So he returned a day before he had gotten injured a year later and did not waste any time. Look, Marcin Tibero, good for you. You got your got your main event. But oh man, oh my goodness, Aspinall. Just waste those time. I mean, the fight lasted a minute and 13 seconds, right? It's just typical striking. All right, they're feeling each other out. Then Tom hits him with an elbow, all right? In the little, like, little clinch, little clinch in the start of the afternoon. Hits with an elbow, sends a straight, and boom, drops him, lays in a couple ground and pound punches. And when it first happened, I was thinking, oh, this is going to be an early stoppage. But no, the ref gave him adequate time, and Marcin Tamir just wasn't fighting back. And that was that. Tom Aspinall returns in front of a London crowd. And gets a minute and 13 second knockout. Woo! Amazing stuff. Amazing stuff. Tom Aspinall. Wow. He, it gets me hyped just thinking about it now. I mean, so we had just left the art museum. And we were sitting in the parking garage of my car. And my girlfriend was like, all right, I'll find somewhere to eat. And I'm like, all right, I'm going to just go watch this main event. All right, we might be here like 20 minutes, 30 minutes. And two minutes later, we were playing out the parking lot because Tom Aspinall got it done. Oh my gosh. I'm like, I'm getting all hyped right now. Okay. <laughs> 
Tom Aspinall, ladies and gentlemen. So, so exciting. Tom improves to 13-3 and in his pro career. Marcin Tavira falls to 24-8. and eight. But Tom Aspinall now has one, two, three, four, six wins in the UFC all by finish. Five of those are performance bonuses. Five of those are in round one. The farthest he's ever fought in the UFC is into round two against Andrei Arlovsky, where he went a minute and nine seconds into round two. And even Curtis Blades does not consider his injury loss. His odd. Even he doesn't Curtis Blades does not consider his win over Tom Aspinall as legit. He considers it a no contest. Since Tom threw one kick fifteen seconds and got hurt. Tom Aspinall, ladies and gentlemen, the best performance of the night. And he's currently ranked number five. Curtis is four. So I'm actually gonna move Aspinall to the number four spot in the heavyweight division. Blades down to five. I would say he should pass Stipe, but since Stipe's fighting for the belt, I doubt they're going to keep wanting to drop him. So I'm going to say Aspinall moves up to four. But he called for the winner of Cyril Gunn's, um Sergey Spivak. He said he will be in attendance for that fight when it goes down in September 2nd, I believe, in uh, Paris. Whew, that should be a very good one, and I believe that is what should be next for Tom Aspinall. Because without a doubt, Sergey Pavlovich is next in line for a title shot. But after him, it'll be Aspinall versus the winner of Cyril Gunn and Sergey Spivak. And depending if John Jones retires, because John Jones did notice Aspinall, he did notice Tom Aspinall. John Jones kind of gave like the, okay, I see you. So maybe John Jones will stick around, but I'm, uh, I said, I think, last week or the week before that I don't think John Jones is going to retire. But I'm becoming less and less confident in that as the weeks build up to his fight. So we'll see. But I do hope he doesn't retire. And he fights Tom Aspinall. So, we get that. All right. Lots of good performances here on UFC London. But yet again, the crowd was not really into it. And can you blame them? All right. I mean, let me give the... Let me say if a fight was a dud or nud. Dud or a nud, right? I don't know what a nud is, but that's what it is, right? So, for the prelims, I'm going to give Rafael Fiel versus Daniel Perez a dud. No, a dud. Oh, gosh, now I've confused myself, all right? I think I have all the fights on this card. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. Actually, you know what? I think a majority of these were actually pretty good. I was, I was going to hate, but I can't even hate. I think a majority of these fights were good. Obviously, they put some crappy prelim fights in here, but, you know. That's just how the cards go. Every single event has bad parts to start out. So much more to say for this. All right. Congratulations to Tom Aspinall. Definitely the biggest winner of the night. I'm very happy to see what's next for him. All right. And that's all you got for UFC London. We move on to UFC 291. I'm so excited to do that preview show. I mean, I like doing recap shows like this, but the preview shows are so fun. Oh, my goodness. And this this card is so good. I, whoo, I'm going to need to buy some more... Uh, Buy some more time for the podcast. I'm gonna need to. We might. We might. I don't know if I can do two hours long for a preview show, but I might try and do two hours for that because who is gonna be a fun one? Dana, take my money. All right. But with UFC coming to an end, you've been jabbed with your daily dose of UFC. Let's get into the surprising topic of this podcast, and that is quantum physics. And I know people hear quantum physics and they think. What's quantum physics? I don't know what that is, you know? 
When I when I heard quantum physics, I thought of Ant-Man Quantumania, the quantum realm. I thought of Marvel movies of just made-up stuff. But no, quantum is real. There's quantum energy. There's quantum mechanics. We're focusing on quantum physics. And I asked one of my buddies, hey, what surprise topic do you want to hear on the Surprise Jab podcast? He said, why don't you talk about surprise? Um, why don't you talk about quantum physics as a joke? And I said, bet, you're on. And so we did a little research. And we are going to teach you all about quantum physics. And I taught myself about it. And honestly, it's very fascinating. I cannot lie. It's very fascinating. So I'm going to take a quick break, get a drink, and we'll be right back to talk about quantum physics. So quantum physics. All my source material for this is coming from Caltech. So I made sure I had a reputable I believe that's right. Where they're a reputable source for this, so Caltech, California Tickle, very good source, very reputable. I like that word, reputable. Okay. So, what is quantum physics? So, quantum physics is the study of matter and energy at the most fundamental level. It aims to uncover the properties and behaviors of the varying building blocks of nature. So, you hear that? Sounds super sciency. Let me just break it down for you. It's just the study of matter and energy. At the smallest level. The most fundamental level means as low as you can go. And there is a low. There is the most you can go for something. And in the physics part of it, they're uncovering the properties and behaviors of the stuff at the quantum level. So let's use let's use the quantum realm, for example, in Ant-Man. And, you know, I should not be using that. That's definitely a bad comparison of made-up Marvel movies. But at the end of the day, we have our world which is the non-quantum world, then we have the quantum world, where Ant-Man's at, all right? That's that's my comparison. Isn't that awesome, right? Lasers and transitors have came out of the study of quantum physics. Lasers, obviously, I mean, you know, the little red things, you point at stuff, I mean, any form of laser. But transitors, you know what transitors are? Those are the things in all your electronics. You open up your, let's say you just break open your phone, you break open your computer, break open any electronic gadget, and you see all these weird, like, Almost looks like a little city down there, a little magnetic, metallic city, you know? All those electrical circuits and stuff, all those electrical circuits, that's a transitor. They're in all of the electronic devices. And that came from the study of quantum physics. Quantum physics arose in the late 1800s, early 1900s, and it came from the experimental observations of atoms that did not make sense in classic physics. So in the classic physical sense... These atoms, I mean, they were not able to look past a certain level. But then they found out you can go past a certain level, okay? So the discovery being from this that matter and energy do have a minimum value. So you can, in fact, break down matter and energy again and again and again. But eventually you do get to a level where it is at a minimum value or quantum. An example being light of a fixed frequency will deliver energy in quanta called photons. So photons have the same amount of energy, but they cannot be broken down. So two photons, same amount of energy. You can't go below a photon. That's as far as you can go. And actually, the word quantum has Latin roots, meaning how much. So how much can you break this down? You can go down to a certain level. So quantum is like the final level. There's... 
gosh, there's a lot of concepts that help to establish the foundation of quantum physics. I mean, it's not as simple as Dr. Hank Pym having some suit that makes him shrink and he's able to explore this realm and his wife gets caught in that realm and then you find out that Kang is actually, okay, get a little off track here. Let's go back to reality, not to the MCU. So there are four central concepts that we're going to talk about. So prepare to uh, be blown away by all sorts of knowledge you obtain here. Okay, starting off our central concepts, we have wave-particle duality. So wave-particle duality dates back to the earliest days of quantum science in general. The wave-particle duality describes the outcomes of experiments that these experiments showed that light and matter had the properties of particles or waves. So these experiments were showing that light, you know, just normal sunlight, you know, light from a light bulb, and matter, everything around us, they had the properties of particles or waves. So today we understand that these different forms of energy are neither particle nor wave, but distinct quantum objects. We cannot conceptually, conceptualize fully. But back then, they thought they were dealing with waves and stuff, but waves and particles are in a different form today. But wave-particle duality was one of the earliest forms, and as always, in every regard to everything in life, whatever you start out with is not what you finish. So, wave-particle duality was the original, but it was not the final. So, another central concept that is essential is called superposition. So, I actually recognize this term from, a, I took calculus, it's a Math 130 at a Minnesota State Mankato, and it had to deal with a business calculus, but I recognize the word superposition, so in mathematical terms, it means an equation with one or more outcomes. Now, in quantum physics terms, superposition is a term used to describe an object in multiple states at the same time. So a superposed object, object is like a ripple on a still pond that is a combination of two waves overlapping. So you throw in a rock into a still pond, or even let's say a little fish comes up to the top and grabs something and goes back down. The ripples that spread across, it's not one single ripple. It's a series of ripples, all right? And these ripples are actually overlapping into waves. So that there's the two waves overlapping. So in math terms, when you have an equation, all right, it's like you have your one equation that's coming, the one ripple, and the second one right behind it. So you have more than one. And that is superposition. So if I were to personally interpret that in using superposition, superposition would mean not just one position, but super as in multiple, you know? I don't really know. I'm no scientist, but I mean, this is very interesting to learn, right? Another central concept is called uncertainty principle. In physics, this principle means that two properties of an object, such as position, and velocity, so where you're at, how fast you're going, cannot be precisely known at the same time. So, for example, if we precisely measure the position of an electron, we are limited on how precise the measurement of speed is. So, how I interpret that is, if anyone has Life360, you can see where your person is you're watching. Let's say, um, I'd, let's say you want to see where your mom is, okay? You check your mom's driving. You can see how fast they're going and where they're at. You can see where she's at and how fast she's going. 
According to the uncertainty principle, you could either know for sure where she was at, but you wouldn't be able to directly tell the speed, or you could tell how fast she was going, but not exactly where she's at. So that is the uncertainty principle. And the last central concept that was used to establish quantum physics was called entanglement. So entanglement is a phenomenon that occurs when two or more objects are connected in such a way that they can be thought of as a single system. Even if far apart, the state of one object in that system cannot be fully described without information on the state of the other object. Which is very interesting that two things that are nowhere near each other, galaxies apart, could even be connected. So how can I interpret this for you? So let's say you go on a date. And it's a good date, you know, and there's a story to the date. There's a story to the date. And I know there's this thing on KDWB, maybe, where it's like, um, gosh, there's there's something on the radio. I don't think it's that. Maybe it's not a country station. It's like second chance date, all right? And you get the girl's story and the guy's story. Well, both of those stories, despite being apart, are both connected in a single event, if that makes sense, you know? I don't even know if that's actually how entanglement works. But that's how I'm interpreting it. I'm interpreting it is that two or more objects, in my example, stories, people, they're connected and they're thought of as a single system. So two people make a relationship. And even if they're far apart, separated after the date, the state of that one object cannot be fully described without information. So the story itself cannot be described. I don't know if that totally fits, but I mean, entanglement is certainly very interesting. And I, I did enjoy actually learning about it. But those are the foundations of quantum physics. But there's way more to quantum physics. And I mean, unfortunately, to um, anyone who hates math like myself, mathematics is essential to the field of quantum physics as it's difficult to visualize all this information just because of how, how low it's happening. And when I mean low, I mean quantum. Quantum is small. Quantum's at the minimum. Remember, photons are the minimum of light particles, so... You can only just look at that through a telescope. <laughs> telescope. Look at that through a magnifying glass. What am I thinking of? What am I thinking of? What's the thing you look at in science class? Oh, I hate when I mind blank. Man, you're looking under, not a kaleidoscope. Something. Whatever it is, we're going to move past my mind-bogglingness. But, I mean, when I was looking at some of these properties, such as um, uncertainty, principle, and superposition, they come from math. So you actually need math to look into science. So, you know, STEM, science, technology, engineering, math, it unfortunately does all go together. It turns out that school system wasn't actually messing with me. It was actually true. It actually did go together. But very fascinating. So one of the most um, well-known experiments in the realm of quantum physics actually comes from the double-slit experiment. And this involved shooting particles, such as photons or electrons, as we've been talking about, through a barrier with two slits. So, you have something such as like, I know they have this actually in Geneva, Switzerland. It's like a particle accelerator. They shoot, but this this time they're actually shooting it through just a barrier. There's two slits in it. And when it's shot through there, it helps demonstrate how matter can behave like a wave. So when it goes through, it's have this wave effect, this like ripple effect as we were talking about earlier. And this was actually originally used in 1801 to show how light is made up of waves. And this was done with like 
just using even just blocks of wood or just like or slitting a door and watching the light come through. And that's what I was able to do in one. But nowadays we have so much technology where you can just blast particles and create stuff. I mean, this all this quantum physics really makes me think of like the atomic bomb and stuff. And really it does make me want to go see the Oppenheimer movie because then we could do a review of that on the podcast. So all this talk of science is kind of interesting. But as mysterious or illogical and just downright what are you talking about, Zach? As quantum physics may sound, at the end of the day, it describes everything around us. All right, at the end of the day, quantum is just small. Physics is just studying science. You're just studying the small, the lowest you can go, and the stuff that goes on there. And honestly, when you talk about the quantum realm in the MCU, how goofy it sounds, that's a real place. There are microscopic bacteria, microscopic animals that we can't even see. They're on our face. They're in light. They're in the ocean. They're, they're just all around us. But as for quantum physics, I mean, harnessing the power of quantum physics will give rise to new technologies even we can't comprehend. I mean, they're creating stuff nowadays that's just unbelievable. I mean, I've been listening to the Sean Ryan Show podcast, and he's been having some uh, FBI whistleblowers on talking about all the technology the government's hiding that the government doesn't even know about. There's secret governments in the world that are using this stuff in Antarctica, in Indonesia, in Russia and stuff. Places like that are very undisclosed. I mean, even the even the deserts of um, New Mexico, Arizona, California. And this all comes from science. And quantum physics is really diving into the bottom line of what we what is possible for humanity if we are able to channel this quantum energy. And though we could talk about quantum mechanics, we could talk about just quantum energy in general because that is different. Quantum physics is what we chose to focus on today. And I learned a lot. I honestly did learn a lot. I mean, learning about the theories of entanglement, wave, particle, duality. I mean, I'm sure you could do full segments on those just in general. I mean, they're very, very cool stuff. As for a double slit experiment, I don't know too um, too much details about how it was how it was actually done. I mean, we could actually we could actually check that out. Because in the description Caltech gave me, it was very vague on everything that was going on. But, um, yeah, I mean, Wikipedia, what is this? This is Microsoft Bing. I mean, it's just, yeah. It's shooting light through a slit, shooting particles through a slit. So, there's that. But the lasers and transistors, that is very cool. That's a very cool aspect of uh, how quantum physics is able to create that. Because transistors are basically on everything you do. And lasers, I mean, who doesn't love lasers? It's a freaking laser beam on a shark, you know? From uh, Dr. Evil, from Austin Powers. Always been around us. And it's crazy that this arose in over 100 years ago. Stuff from before Albert Einstein's time is still around. And he's known as like one of the most famous scientists of all time. It's quantum physics, ladies and gentlemen. It's all around you. Quantum is, but quantum physics... Only really smart people can look into that. But hope you all were able to. Uh, hope you all were able to learn something. I mean, I certainly did learn stuff. I don't know how well I correlated it. I know. I know. I was. Uh, I was informed by some people that my adrenaline piece was very good, but I wasn't totally uh, scientifically or medically. I mean, correct. So I mean, if I'm not medically correct on adrenaline, don't think I'm scientifically correct on quantum physics. But I found a good source. I found some good material, and I found it very interesting. And just to repeat, quantum has Latin roots in meaning how much. So when you think of quantum, 
Think of how much and how small it can be. So that's your surprising topic for the podcast. It was um, it was fun. We got uh, lots more lined up. Um, I've been debating how to um how to get into fantasy football. I've been debating to do that episode until I have a guest. But I'm thinking maybe next time we do how to get into UFC, where you start to do that. We also have some conspiracy theories, such as the Montauk Project, we'll be getting into on future episodes. Uh, movie reviews, maybe even talk about um, Marvel stuff. I wanted to watch Secret Invasion, but I've been hearing that's the worst MCU TV show. So I'm now very skeptical on if I should watch it. But I actually did watch Too Hot to Handle. We just finished episode 7. They're waiting until next week to drop the last three. It is certainly very interesting for any fans that are out there. All right. I'm happy for my boy Dre finally getting some action. But, um, yeah, I just can't believe how unloyal people are on that on that show, such as Isaac and, um, gosh, who's the playboy? I mean, gosh, that, I already forget their names after I haven't watched the shows. But thank you all for listening. I uh, hope you enjoyed hearing Loyal to the Belt. I like doing that segment. Hope you were surprised with uh, quantum physics, and I hope you're uh, – Daily jab of a UFC brought you some enjoyment. So thank you all for listening. I'll be back with the next episode later this week. God bless.